Welcome to the Enterprise Excellence Podcast, where our purpose is to help create a better future. Learn from our world's experts how to improve your organization sustainably. Learn how to achieve and sustain an excellence journey for yourself, others, and the planet. And I'm your host, Brad Jevons, coming to you from Brisbane, Australia. We are proudly brought to you in association with SA Partners, a world-leading business transformation consultancy. SA Partners are a truly purposeful company focused on helping organisations achieve sustainable improvement for themselves, others and the planet. Welcome to episode 90 of the Enterprise Excellence Podcast. It is so great to have Mr. John Broadbent back on the show with us today to talk further on Industry 4.0 and Enterprise Excellence. What a great topic. So looking forward to the further conversation. Let's get into the episode. The other thing I'd say too, John, particularly in Australia, there seems to be a real baseline of processes being out of control or not in control in yep. in a factory or anywhere for that matter you know there's or, or not only out of control actually not properly understood yeah too true too true part of the root cause of not being out of control is there's no understanding of the standard of what we have got mm. but you can see i can see a leak a step change a massive step change here with it is minimal investment in some regards too because the way that technology is gone but you can take this process you said do your bucket review spreadsheet audit create a vision maybe process map sipoc diagram or value stream map or forefield map to understand your critical control points and where your data needs to be and all of a sudden you're getting to this point of error proofing and predictability from a place of being like nearly out of control and dealing with problems all day and fires from things going wrong um there's a fabulous fabulous book uh, particularly audio book that I'd highly recommend your readers try and get a copy of. It's called The Four Disciplines of Execution. Yeah. It's a Frank, Franklin Covey book and it talks about the wildly important goal, you know, what's, what is the company aligned to? But the discussion in there about how to find lead measures, I thought was nothing short of brilliant. It was a massive aha moment for me. And then I realised if you follow the cricket, the one-day internationals, the second team that comes in don't care about the score. <clears throat> they have the cricket worm, the run chase chart. That's their lead measure. And as long as they hit 6.2 runs and over, they know they're going to win the match. You look at rugby league now and you've got two major statistics that come out of rugby league. The first is the number of metres gained. And the second is the team that completes the most six tackle sets. Because they know statistically that if you're gaining the most metres and you're completing most of your six tackle sets, statistically you will win the match. So lead measures are starting to even appear in our sports and we don't recognize that's what they are there's no mention in the number of six tackle sets completed about the score yeah but, and, but there's a relationship and john they're using industry 4.0 now to do it aren't they like exactly the players have either a chip on or they're able to actually know exactly automatically what meters are being gained or not gained like yes. it's all it's all live now it's no longer someone sitting up there estimating on a piece of paper well, my son got this, he's 13-year-old, and my son, his younger son, and he buys, he loves playing soccer, he plays, you know, uh, club soccer on weekends. And he bought this thing on the internet the other day it's from Adidas, and that's a little chip that he puts in his shoe, and it tells him how many metres he's run, uh, the, the most powerful kick he's done, how many kilometres an hour, like a whole heap of statistics, Bluetooth. <laughs> you know, it, it stores the data, and then when he gets off the field, he Bluetooths it to his phone. It gives him all these stats about his, and it was like 30, 40 bucks or something, like, wow. Yeah. Yeah, Incredible. And, and my listeners will know I've had a lot of people on this podcast talking about sport and what we can learn from sport to apply to business, but it's such a correlation, isn't it? 
Formula One, live yeah. telemetry, tuning yeah. the engines and doing stuff while the guys are still running around the racetrack. It's like, yeah, it's incredible. And, it really they, and you know, it, it, it doesn't relate replace the humanistic piece where you engage people, empower people, involve them because you look at the no. best Formula One pit crews. You know, those guys are a, and girls are a unit and they constantly improve within what they can improve. And then you've got this technology hanging over it too, just like sport, just like, mm. you know, a rugby league team that doesn't have the foundation of culture and teamwork and performance plus then the technology and data. That's the secret, isn't it? Like that's where. Well, it's, yeah. It, it, for me, one of the things I learned very early on watching systems projects fail miserably was nothing to do with the system generally. It was to do with the lack of alignment between people, systems, and process. The process wasn't properly understood. The people weren't trained. The change management piece was usually atrocious. Stuff was imposed on the people then because that's what the system does, not realising that that's not what they do in terms of the people side of it. And so you get this utter misalignment then between all three, and no project can can survive that. No, no. And I think uh, there's another key point you and I could talk on for another episode, which is just the status of good project management at the moment too. There's probably a topic there to talk on project management. Yeah, whether it be an agile approach or whether it be a Pimbok, Prince2, whatever. It's, like it's a, it, it requires skill and there's capability in doing it well to make it work and stick. Yeah, but a, a guy I respect enormously in the lean project management space, a bit of a wag, he said to me, how does a project get a billion dollars over budget? I go, how he goes, one dollar at a time. <laughs> too true. You know, how does a project get two years late? One day at a time. You yeah, know, if true. you've got the controls in there to understand all that, you can't just get to the end of it and go, oh, look at that. We're two years overdue and we've spent an extra billion than we planned to. Yeah. And no one likes the project. You know, there's no one wants to use it. I think, mate, it's amazing getting to talk to you about on this topic of Industry 4.0 because I can even think back to what you described about your journey with CSR, how you, you first of all created that visibility and then you went on as early as 1995 to start to look at that industry 4.0 approach to get to that adaptability piece that you did automatically mm. through the logic you saw in that the, the drive motor. Mm. Yeah, yeah, amazing. I think our listeners will gain a lot from this and I think there'll be a lot of listeners who are out there thinking, yes, we have a quality control problem or we have errors or we have defects or we've got we're out of control and this is an option to get control quick in an error-proof way if they're willing to take a company-wide approach and think about it holistically rather than piecemeal type of bits and pieces that can get out of control too like you mentioned earlier and there is a a good awareness in business around business intelligence um, I read a report a couple of years ago, that I think there's nearly 700 respondents and 74% of the respondents said their business intelligent investment had not given them the return on investment they wanted due to lack of timely data in the, in the business intelligence dashboard. So if we can move the needle and one of the pieces of IP I sort of put together is imagine you've got the year, the quarter, the month, the week, the day. And then you've got the day, the hour, the minute, and the, the day, the shift, the hour, the minute, and the second. So you've got this time continuum. That The day seems to be about the delineation between the business intelligence world of lag measures. But on the, on the right-hand side of that, in the hour, minute, second space, you have the realm of manufacturing intelligence. And very few organizations 
have an MQ score, they, they really think about how smart are we in the way that we manufacture from a manufacturing intelligence point of view. And the more you can move the needle into the hour, to the minute, to the second, to have real-time notifications, real-time information, see exactly what's going on and using lead measures to predict what your lag measures are going to be, the more agile the business becomes, the more velocity the business has to respond to changing market conditions. And then when they come up against a sluggish competitor, the agile manufacturing intelligence business will win every time. Yeah. John, I I did an episode with Jeff Sutherland, one of the founders of Agile Mm -hmm. Scrum, I think about January, February, it came out a few months ago. That's 2022 for those listening down the track. And, you know, Jeff said at the end of the episode, he said, because he was talking about Scrum at scale, he's developed this model to be able to connect frontline teams to, to teams above to exec. And how fast can we get comms going up and down? Yes. And he basically said the one difference that's been found by study, by study, by study after study on the highest performing organizations versus the not so performing organizations is decision latency. Yep. How long does it take from an event to a decision? And that's the one caveat. And that's just what you described. How, how, how can we reduce that decision latency based on having visibility of data or alerts, predictability? to be able to then make a rapid decision and adapt? Well, one of the things we did in the food business uh, was we put Australia, it was imported into Australia, but it's now a regular brand here, but it was a product that does inline packaging and label verification, so prevents recalls. So you think about the traditional method is you put some packaging sleeves in a machine and the tray of food comes out and the sleeve goes on and it goes in a box and it goes to Woolies and Mrs. Jones, you know, goes up and buys a ready meal and it says chicken and rice and she gets it home. And she puts it in the fridge and then a week later she gets it out because it's still a good use by date. And she takes that out of the packet and it's now chicken and cashews. And she goes, oh, that's not what I bought. And I have a peanut allergy or a nut allergy. Um, This is now a health risk. And she then makes a decision. Do I let Woolies know or don't let them know or Coles or whatever, one of the big four supermarkets. And so she decides to take two weeks after the event, she decides now to take that ready meal back and go, look, I have a problem. Now that triggers an entire recall process. And that two-week latency from action to decision to, to return the, the meal is $100,000 fine to the food company who made that mistake and another $100,000 roughly to make good that mistake. So it's a $200,000 exercise every time that happens. So what we did with this food company is we put an inline packaging label verification system that every pack that goes down the line, the barcode scanner is told ahead of time this is the barcode you're looking for. If it finds the right barcode, milliseconds later, the uh, coder prints the uh, best before date tied to that G10. And if a tray, and this has happened multiple times, if a tray goes down that line with the wrong barcode, the line stops. So the time from from the event happening, wrong sleeve on the wrong product to the decision to stop the line is seconds rather than two weeks. And by compressing that time thing, which you can do with Industry 4.0, you then mitigate the loss. Yep. Happier customers, less cost, less chaos, less fires, less stress. Well, in a system like that costs about 60K to implement at the line level. In the food business that I talked about, we actually integrated it with the MES and the ERP. So all the data that even went to the best before date coder was untouched by human hand. They just selected the product 
the whole line got set up. The check weigher with the right recipe, the metal detector, the coder and the barcode scanner were all set up with the press of a button and they just start making products. So straight away, your line change over time is significantly reduced. There's no human error because no one's keen last year's date into the date code by mistake because it's February and we've forgotten that it's 2022 and we're still putting in 2021 that then misses QA checks. And I know an organisation that makes beverages who rang me once and said, is there any way that you can integrate six years ago our coders to our master data in SAP because we've just produced an entire shift of aseptically filled bricks of product, Tetra Pak style bricks of product, um, and we have to write the whole download off and send it to the tip. Yeah, all for a different digit. Someone put the wrong year in. Yeah. Go to enterpriseexcellencepodcast.com backslash downloads to get hold of the Global Lighthouse Project on Industry 4.0 and Technology and Operations link. Please like, subscribe, and share this podcast to help others gain insights and create a better future. Let's get back to the episode. It's it's funny, we're living in a world now where this sort of advancement we can make is in a way so much simpler and so much faster and so much easier than when you and I first started doing business. Like it was, uh, it's, it's crazy how much things have evolved. And I guess over the last few years, we've had a bit of chaos going, going on that a few things happening that could change people's minds. But I think now that we're coming out and things are calmer, I know a lot of companies are feeling the pressure of those extra volume, like there's been this volume kick that Mm. has broken poor systems and just caused more chaos. So it's, a, it's an amazing time for organizations to be thinking about, well, okay, what part does technology play in our excellence journey? And how do we create greater visibility, greater predictability, and then the ability to adapt with less decision latency? And I've been saddened over the last 20 years of watching Australian companies in manufacturing move production offshore. And typically, or in almost every case, they would have a piece of 1970s 1980s 1990s kit that was heavily labor intensive and they would pick it up and move it to vietnam malaysia you know somewhere with a cheaper china somewhere with a cheaper labor cost rather than saying well let's buy a modern machine that doesn't use as many people and do that path now let's just move it all to china well as a result of that East Coast Chinese wage rates are now approaching Singapore, so the cost competitiveness has been lost. We've now had COVID, so that's broken supply chains, latencies. Container cost has gone up by a factor of 10. I know, I know a, a family who run a business and it used to cost them $500 per container for China, now costing them $5,000. In fact, the container cost is more than the content in the container at the moment for this company. It's like, ouch. Um, and they now can't bring that old technology back from China and re-implement in Australia because it's 1970s, 1980s, and they'll have a labour cost again. So all they've done is kick the can down the road and now suffered for it because they now can't supply product because of the latency of delivery because of the supply chain issues. So thankfully, some organisations are recognising this now um, and are starting to reshore and invest so that they can make product in market at a competitive price. Yeah, yeah in a high quality fashion using the, yes. the technology we got at our fingertips now that reduces decision latency and error proofs flows. It's amazing. John. And reduces their working capital. If you think about it, I mean, if you're buying product, you know, making product in China, you might have people on the ground there that have got to do quality inspections. 
you then got the latency it takes to get to get it here, and then you've got to store it here. You've got to have a bigger warehouse so you don't run out of products. So then there's capital, you know, working capital tied up. It, it, yeah, I'm, I'm happy to see the reshoring uh, mentality start to kick in. I think it was, you know, your your mention of um, doing the spreadsheet audit and understanding the cost of your <laughs> spreadsheets. I think the return on investment is there in some cases, <laughs> let alone Absolutely. the cost saving and error proofing. It is, but but the the spread and this is it's important for me to say this: the spreadsheets are there because they're needed because the integration and the movement of data and visibility of data around the organisation isn't there. So that's what they've had to do to make ends meet. Yeah, yeah, and it's it, they they're getting by, which is what most yeah. people are doing in these regards. John, what would be your enterprise excellence two minute tip in this area of expertise with industry four point and excellence? Um, get started, get help. <laughs> Simple as that. It's a good point. Get started, don't wait. Now the World Economic Forum's now got a group called the Global Lighthouse Network. Uh, you can find them on the internet. Just look up Global Lighthouse Network. There are 90 businesses now in that network. Businesses are being added every few months. And the 90 businesses have been audited by McKinsey. There's a chart um, that people can find on the World Economic Forum's website. Uh, that has 16 manufacturing performance metrics and the and the audited improvement from starting industry four to you know being well versed with it now, both within the four walls of factories and along the supply chain. And the improvements are off the charts. The good news is the chart starts at zero. So no one went backwards. Yeah. <laughs> and it might be a range from 2% to 140% somewhere in the middle might be your organization. But when Deloitte say that, you know, labor productivity is up by 10%, capacity is up by 11%, and um, cost of, of manufacture has improved by 12%. If you as a manufacturing organization could add 10, 11, and 12% in each of those areas to your bottom line, that's not chump change. Yeah, that's neat. That's neat. Some well, serious Mike, coin. We'll put a link to that in the show notes and uh, in, on the um, Enterprise Excellence podcast site too. John, sure. what's been a recent insight for you, mate? What's been something you've learned recently that you didn't know before? I didn't know about the Global Lighthouse Network actually existed. Uh, I got to interview the guy in the WEF called Francisco Betty about the network and what they were, they were trying to achieve. And when you look at the list, it's it's a who's who. There's you know there's the Schneiders and the Siemens and the Audis and the Johnson and Johnsons, the Procter and Gambles. Uh, Hyundai, like there's a whole lot of, but their factory base is not the company, it's just the, the factory itself. But also for me, um, it's it's the opportunity that I'm seeing everywhere that organisations have to do this. And I understand that there is, you know, the innovators and the early adopters, and this is not for everyone for now. But if you want to get the jump, you have to be an early adopter, a risk taker to some degree, because that's where the competitive advantage lies. Everybody will get on the train eventually. Everybody will catch up. We'll have the late majority and the laggards, you know, still have the black and white TV. Um, the laggards will, you know, will eventually get there because they have to or they'll go out of business. Um, but for me, it's just this opportunity. There's, there's so much available now that we can do things um, to really improve the way we make stuff. And part of that is, is modernization. And now there's a national movement um, the Labor Party is talking about, you know, the modernisation, the New South Wales state government, I'm trying to get my hat in the ring there, um, as the new uh, manufacturing modernisation fund, um, because New South Wales is recognising too, they've got to start doing something here. Yeah, yeah. 
And I think the conversation has been extremely powerful for me thinking about that, that key elements of how do we reduce, how do we create visibility, reduce decision latency, error-proof and create productivity. And then we also spoke briefly about then the human factors and the leadership meeting that. It's not like you do that without that. You've got both aspects, but they enable each other. Where they meet in the middle well, there's this whole rocket fuel because you've got data, you've got the information you need, you've got the baseline error-proofed, you've got the ability to adapt rapidly. You're not guessing. Yeah, that's it. Well, John, I really appreciate your time, mate. And, you know, thank you for sharing your knowledge and helping us create a better future. How can people reach out to you if they want to get in touch and connect? Uh, John at realizepotential.com.au, realize with an S, I'm not American. Uh, and obviously there's a Realize Potential uh, website, uh, realizepotential.com.au, where they can find information. Uh, but probably my most active realm is LinkedIn. Just look me up on LinkedIn as uh, uh, John Broadbent and you'll find me there with an industry for coaching banner. Um, and anybody from this podcast who reaches out, if you just let me know that you've come through Brad's Excellence Forum, I'll send you a free copy of the Industry 4.0 white paper that I produced last year, which is all about how do we improve manufacturing uh, performance using, probably enough, the three buckets model as a framework. So, John, that's awesome, mate. Thank you so much for your time and knowledge, John. Thanks for helping us create a better future. Bye for now. Thanks for the opportunity, Brad. Take care. Cheers, Bye. Mate. What a great episode. Remember, you can go to our website, enterpriseexcellencepodcast.com backslash downloads to get hold of the links to the Global Lighthouse Project on Industry 4.0 and technology in operations. Please like, subscribe and share this podcast to help others gain insights and create a better future. There were two key takeaways for me from this episode. Firstly, top-down framework and structure, bottom-up improvement. John made a great point when moving to a smart factory and organisation. We need to be able to create a framework that's a system as a whole across the whole company. This is a top-down review with input from all levels. The key is to create a framework and infrastructure that can then enable people to see the data and potential challenges, understand them, predict events ahead of time using the data and then adapt rapidly. This approach reduces decision latency dramatically and creates a culture of continuous improvement built on a foundation of error-proofing through Industry 4.0 capabilities. The three steps of transforming to Industry 4.0 in a smart factory is my second key takeaway. John's three-bucket analysis was so simple. Walk the floor to understand the green, blue and red items within your factory or your operation. Conduct a spreadsheet audit and ROI analysis and then develop your vision for the future. Conduct process mapping and analysis coupled with data visualization reviews to define the future state and then execute on this in best practice project management to ensure that the change management occurs well and it sticks and you get a better culture outcome than a worse. Thanks again for your time and knowledge, John. Thanks for helping us create a better future. Bye for now.